Section 10 of Jurisprudence. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ian Stewart, Rosanna, Victoria, Australia. Jurisprudence by John Salmond. Chapter 6. The Sources of Law. Chapter 6. The Sources of Law. Section 44. Formal and Material Sources. The expression source of law, fons juris, has several meanings which it is necessary to distinguish clearly. We must distinguish in the first place between the formal and the material sources of the law. A formal source is that from which a rule of law derives its force and validity. It is that from which the authority of the law proceeds. The material sources, on the other hand, are those from which is derived the matter, not the validity of the law. The material source applies the substance of the rule to which the formal source gives the force and nature of law. The formal source of the whole body of the civil law is one and the same, namely the will and power of the state as manifested in courts of justice. Whatever rules have the sanction and authority of the body politic in the administration of justice have thereby the force of law, and in such force no other rules whatever have any share. The matter of the law may be drawn from all kinds of material sources, but for its legal validity it must look to the tribunals of the state and to them alone. Customary law, for example, has its material source in the usages of those who are subject to it, but it has its formal source in the will of the state, no less than statutory law itself. Section 45. Legal and Historical Sources Though the formal source of the law is one, its material sources are many, and they are divisible into two classes which may be distinguished as legal and historical. The former are those sources which are recognised as such by the law itself, the latter are those sources which are such in fact, but are nevertheless destitute of legal recognition. This is an important distinction which calls for careful consideration. In respect of its material origin, a rule of law is often of long descent. The immediate source of it may be the decision of an English court of justice, but that court may have drawn the matter of its decision from the writings of some lawyer, let us say the celebrated Frenchman, Potier, and Pottier in his turn may have taken it from the compilations of the Emperor Justinian, who may have obtained it from the Praetorian Edict. In such a case, all these things, the decision, the works of Pottier, the Corpus Juris Civilis, and the Edictum Perpetuum, are the successive material sources of the rule of English law. But there is a difference between them, for the precedent is the legal source of the rule, and the others are merely its historical sources. The precedent is its source not merely in fact, but in law also. The others are its sources in fact, but obtain no legal recognition as such. Our law knows well the nature and effect of precedents, but it knows nothing of Pottier, or of Tribonian, or of the urban Praetor. The proposition that every principle embodied in a judicial decision has for the future the force of law is not merely a statement of historical fact as to the growth of English law, it is itself a rule of law. But the proposition that much of the law of Rome has become incorporated into the law of England is simply a statement of fact, 
which has in law no relevance or recognition. The legal sources of law are authoritative, the historical are unauthoritative, the former are allowed by the law courts as of right, the latter have no such claim. They influence more or less extensively the course of legal development, but they speak with no authority. No rule of law demands their recognition. Thus both the statute book and the works of Jeremy Bentham are material sources of English law. The historians of that system have to take account of both of them. Much that is now established law has its source in the ponderous volumes of the great law reformer. Yet there is an essential difference between the two cases. What the statute book says becomes law forthwith, and ipso jure, but what Bentham says may or may not become law, and if it does, it is by no claim of right, but solely through the unconstrained good pleasure of the legislature, or the courts. So the decisions of English courts are a legal and authoritative source of English law, but those of American courts are in England merely an historical and unauthoritative source. They are treated with respect by English judges, and are in fact the ground and origin of an appreciable portion of English law, but their operation is persuasive merely, not authoritative, and no rule of English law extends recognition to them. The legal sources are the only gates through which new principles can find entrance into the law. Historical sources operate only immediately and indirectly. They are merely the various precedent links in that chain of which the ultimate link must be some legal source to which the rule of law is directly attached. We are here concerned solely with the legal sources of the law. Its formal source is involved in the definition of the law itself, and has been already sufficiently dealt with. Its historical sources pertain to legal history, not to legal theory. Hereafter, when we speak of the sources of law, we shall mean by that term the legal sources exclusively. It may help us to attain a clearer understanding of a somewhat difficult matter if we attempt to reach a definition of these sources from another standpoint. In every progressive community the law undergoes a continuous process of growth and change. This process of legal evolution does not proceed by haphazard. It is not left to the discretion of the judges to apply one law today and another tomorrow. For the growth of the law is itself a matter governed by the law. Every legal system contains certain rules determining the establishment of new law and the disappearance of old. That is to say, it contains certain rules to this effect, that all new principles which conform to such and such requirements are to be recognised as new principles of law, and applied accordingly in substitution for, or as supplementary to the old, Thus it is itself a principle of English law that any principle involved in a judicial decision has the force of law. Similar legal recognition is extended to the law-producing effect of statutes and immemorial customs. Rules such as these establish the sources of the law. A source of law, then, is any fact which in accordance with the law determines the judicial recognition and acceptance of any new rule as having the force of law. It is the legal cause of the admittance by the judicature of any new principle as one which will be observed for the future in the administration of justice. Section 46. A List of Legal Sources. We cannot deduce from the nature of law the nature of its sources, for these are merely contingent, not necessary. 
they differ in different systems and even in the same system at different periods of its growth it is possible however to distinguish five sources which in england or elsewhere have possessed predominant influence these are legislation custom precedent professional opinion and agreement legislation is the declaration or enunciation of a principle by some adequate authority in the body politic custom is the realization or embodiment of a principle in a uniformity of practice precedent is the judicial application of a principle to its appropriate facts professional or expert opinion is the approval or recognition of a principle by the general voice of those whose business it is to know the law agreement is the adoption of a principle by the consent of those whose interests are affected by it such declaration realization application approval and adoption determine in each case the judicial recognition as law of the principle so dealt with and therefore constitute the sources of the law law which has its source in legislation is called statute enacted or written law that which is based on custom is customary law precedent produces case law and agreement conventional law that which is created by professional or expert opinion has no recognized title but in analogy to german usage we may call it juristic law juristenrecht there are two chief reasons for allowing law creative operation to these various sources in the first place there is a presumption that principles proceeding from them are principles of truth and justice worthy of adoption by the judicature a statute is an attempt made by the legislature to formulate the rules of right for the use and direction of the judicature this attempt is not always successful for law and justice are sometimes far apart yet no better device has been discovered and the courts accept the rules so formulated as authoritative and final a similar presumption of truth and justice is one of the grounds of the operation of precedent also when one of the superior courts of law has after solemn argument and full consideration laid down a certain principle as one fit to be applied to the case in hand there is a reasonable presumption that this decision is correct and that the principle is a just one fit to be applied to all similar cases in the future that is to say fit to receive permanent recognition as a new rule of law res judicata pro veritate accipitur so also in the case of custom customary law has as one of its foundations the presumption that whatever is customary is just and expedient the popular conscience embodies itself in popular usage and the law courts accept as authoritative the principles so sanctioned and approved professional opinion the opinion of lawyers is merely an historical not a legal source of english law in other systems however and chiefly in that of rome it has shown itself capable of serving as one of the most important of legal sources almost all that is of special value in roman law has this as its origin the digest of justinian consists wholly of extracts from the writing of roman lawyers it is clear that one of the grounds for the allowance of such opinion as a source of law is to be found in a reasonable confidence in the skill and knowledge of the expert Cuique in sua arte credentum est finally we may see the same influence at work in the case of the fifth and last source namely agreement 
every man may be trusted to see to his own interests and to claim his own rights whatever rule therefore is freely agreed upon by two or more persons as defining their mutual rights and obligations may be confidently accepted by the law courts as a true and just rule between those who have so consented to it as to them it is fit and proper to be applied as law there is however a second ground of not less importance on which the efficacy of these legal sources rests they are not merely presumptive evidence of the justice and truth of the principles proceeding from them but they are the basis of a rational expectation on the part of all persons concerned that these principles will be consistently acted on in the future justice demands that such expectations shall be fulfilled even when a rule does not accurately conform to the ideal standard it may be a right and reasonable thing to adhere to it when it has once been formulated for men act on the faith of it and to overturn an imperfect rule with all the expectations built upon it will often do more harm than can be counterbalanced by any benefits to be derived from the substitution of a better principle thus legislation is an announcement to all the world that in future certain principles will be applied in the administration of justice forthwith the expectations dealings and contracts of all men concerned are based upon the principles so declared and the disregard of them by the judicature would be a breach of faith and an ill service to the course of justice similarly the decision of a court may not be perfectly wise or just but whether it is or not all men expect that like decisions will for the future be given in like cases it is often more important that the course of judicial decision should be uniform and within the limits of human foresight than that it should be ideally just so with all the other sources of law that which has always been customary in the past is entitled for this reason alone to a certain measure of allowance and recognition in the future that which is approved by the general opinion of the legal profession serves so largely as the basis of the actions and expectations of men that the courts of law will not lightly depart from it that which all parties interested have agreed to and which they have declared as valid law to bind them may not for all that be absolutely just and reasonable but they must be held bound by it none the less otherwise there will be no certainty of dealing among mankind section forty seven the sources of law as constitutive and abrogative the process of legal evolution is threefold it comprises in the first place the increase or growth of law that is to say the substitution of legal principles for the discretion of courts and the transformation of fact into law it involves in the second place the opposite process of the decrease of law the reconquest by the arbitrium judicius of domains formerly occupied by legal principle the transformation of law into fact finally it includes the alteration of law that is to say the destruction of one legal principle and the substitution of another in its stead to carry out this threefold process it is clear that we require instruments of legal development which are capable not merely of creating new law but of destroying old it is not sufficient to obtain new law which stands side by side with the old as a supplement to it it is necessary to obtain new law which excludes the old as a substitute for it we must possess instruments of abrogative and not merely instruments of constitutive power 
So far we have considered the sources of law only in respect of this latter operation. We have yet to consider to what extent they possess the power of destroying law, as well as of creating it. The conservative virtue of the law has at all times been very great. We find accordingly that the constitutive operation of the sources is much more general than the abrogative. It by no means follows that, because a certain fact is capable of giving rise to a new rule, it is equally capable of getting rid of an old one. Legislation indeed is preeminent in this respect above all other legal sources. Alone among the instruments of legal development it works with equal facility in both ways, and it is this peculiarity which makes it so efficient a method of legal reform. In the strict theory of the law, precedent is wholly constitutive, being quite destitute of abrogative power. When the law is already settled, the judges have no authority save to obey and administer it. Their power of making new law by way of judicial decision is limited to those vacant spaces where there is as yet no other law which they can apply. Precedents make law, but cannot alter it. Mercantile custom resembles precedent. So long as the ground is vacant, so long as there is no rule of the common law in pari materia, the proved custom of merchants will be allowed by the courts as a source of new law. But so soon as from this or any other source principles have been once established in the matter, there is no longer any room for new rules thus arising. Immemorial custom, on the other hand, has full power to derogate from the common law, though the statute law is beyond its operation. Agreement possesses considerable, though not complete, abrogative power. A great part of the law is subject to supersession and modification by the consent of all persons interested, modus it conventio vincunt legum. It is law only until and unless there is some agreement to the contrary. The residue of the law, however, is peremptory, and not to be thus excluded by consent. Agreements which attempt to derogate from it and to establish special law in place of it are illegal and void. Section 48. Sources of Law and Sources of Rights. The sources of law may also serve as sources of rights. By a source or title of rights is meant some fact which is legally constitutive of rights. It is the de facto antecedent of a legal right, just as a source of law is the de facto antecedent of a legal principle. An examination of any legal system will show that to a large extent the same classes of facts which operate as sources of law operate as sources of rights also. The two kinds of sources form intersecting circles. Some facts create law but not rights. Some create rights but not law. Some create both at once. An act of parliament, for example, is a typical source of law, but there are numerous private acts which are clearly titles of legal rights, such as an act of divorce, or an act granting a pension for public services, or an act incorporating a company. So, in the case of precedent, the judicial decision is a source of rights as between the parties to it though a source of law as regards the world at large. Regarded as creative of rights, it is called a judgment. Regarded as creative of law, it is called a precedent. So also immemorial custom does upon occasion give rise to rights as well as to law. In respect to the former operation, it is specifically distinguished as prescription, while as a source of law it retains the generic title of custom. 
that an agreement operates as a source of rights is a fact too familiar to require illustration the proposition which really needs emphatic statement in this case is that agreement is not exclusively a title of rights but is also operative as a source of law section forty nine ultimate legal principles all rules of law have historical sources as a matter of fact and history they have their origin somewhere though we may not know what it is but not all of them have legal sources were this so it would be necessary for the law to proceed ad infinitum in tracing the descent of its principles it is requisite that the law should postulate one or more first causes whose operation is ultimate and whose authority is underived in other words there must be found in every legal system certain ultimate principles from which all others are derived but which are themselves self-existent before there can be any talk of legal sources there must be already in existence some law which establishes them and gives them their authority the rule that a man may not ride a bicycle on the footpath may have its source in the bylaws of a municipal council the rule that these bylaws have the force of law has its source in an act of parliament but whence comes the rule that acts of parliament have the force of law this is legally ultimate its source is historical only not legal the historians of the constitution know its origin but lawyers must accept it as self-existent it is the law because it is the law and for no other reason that it is possible for the law itself to take notice of no statute can confer this power upon parliament for this would be to assume and act on the very power that is to be conferred so also the rule that judicial decisions have the force of law is legally ultimate and underived no statute lays it down it is certainly recognized by many precedents but no precedent can confer authority upon precedent it must first possess authority before it can confer it if we inquire as to the number of these ultimate principles the answer is that a legal system is free to recognize any number of them but is not bound to recognize more than one from any one ultimate legal source it is possible for the whole law to be derived but one such there must be a statute for example may at any time give statutory authority to the operation of precedent and so reduce it from an ultimate to a derivative source of law summary sources of law divided into formal source of the authority of the law and material source of the contents of the law material sources divided into legal immediate and legally recognized and historical remote and not legally recognized legal sources divided into one legislation enacted law two custom customary law three precedent case law four professional opinion juristic law five agreement conventional law grounds of the recognition of these sources operation of sources divided into constitutive adding new law to old and abrogative substituting new law for old extent of abrogative power possessed by the sources relation between sources of law and sources of rights legal principles divided into ultimate without legal sources and derivative drawn from legal sources end of section 10 reading by ian stewart rosanna victoria australia